a shocking development, world famous podcaster, comedian, personality Joe Rogan said he would vote for Donald Trump over Joe Biden. The context is important, right? But still, it's a really interesting thing to see from one of the most famous podcasters in the world or the most famous that there are serious problems with Joe Biden. So if it came down to it, he's voting Donald Trump. In a conversation with intellectual dark web founder Eric Weinstein, Weinstein was mentioning that there's no real viable options for regular people. And Joe interjects saying, I'd rather vote for Trump because Joe Biden, he basically points out Joe Biden's cognitive decline. You don't know where the guy is going to be in a year. And Rogan has previously stated that Trump would eat him alive. And interestingly, Rogan's also pointed out how the media lies and they take every opportunity to just crap all over Trump, whether or not what they're saying is true. Now, the reason I find this so significant Well, there's two reasons, actually. You see, not that long ago, a couple months ago, Joe Rogan said he'd probably vote for Bernie Sanders. This was taken to be some kind of endorsement when Rogan said probably because there were some things he liked. And it was an off the cuff comment, not a direct endorsement. But sure enough, the media went nuts. Many progressive leftists started insulting Joe and calling him all sorts of crazy names. And many more moderate and even some smarter progressives embraced it. But the other big factor here is that Joe Rogan is kind of a regular dude. It's why he's so popular. So if you have a guy as with the most popular podcast in the world telling you this is how he feels, you cannot dismiss it. What we're seeing right now is that the Democrats are embracing complete November. We'll call it self-harm so YouTube doesn't shut me down. But it's insane to put Joe Biden up there. You can see it. Most people feel the same way Joe Rogan does. Biden is in severe cognitive decline. But guess what? The media runs defense for him. They smear Bernie Sanders. They run defense for Biden. They smear Trump. And they did similar things back in 2016 with Hillary Clinton. Let's go through exactly what Joe Rogan said. I don't want to act like it's the most important thing in the world that Rogan made another off the cuff comment about who he'd rather have. But I want to talk about the greater context of how the media plays with these narratives and how Let's just be real. No conservative would reject an endorsement if if he made one from Joe Rogan. Right? This is not an endorsement. I'm not going to play the same games the media tried to play with with Bernie Sanders and and, and Joe. But look, I'm sure everybody on the right's like, I I agree, Joe. That's an interesting point. It doesn't mean Joe Rogan's actually going to vote for the guy. But I'll tell you what, I would not be surprised if he does come November if Biden is the is the option. What's interesting here, too, is that Joe Rogan's pretty much to the left of me on a lot of major issues. And even I wouldn't go so far as to say I'd choose between the two. But Joe kind of did. But let's 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 read this and see what's going on before we get started. Head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's many ways you can give. But the best thing you can do is actually just share this video. It helps the channel grow, especially as YouTube is playing weird algorithmic games to suppress certain channels. They don't prop up independent creators the way they do the mainstream media. But more importantly, just subscribe, hit the notification bell, hit the like button and share the video. As I mentioned, Joe Rogan from Breitbart, I'd rather vote for Trump over Biden. Rogan made the remark when his wide ranging conversation with Eric Weinstein, managing director of Teal Capital and host of the podcast, The Portal, took a turn into the current state of 2020 politics. Transcript as follows. Eric says, I think that in general, people, when they are given no choice at all, express themselves moronically. Joe responds, when they are given no choice at all, how so? Eric says, I want a choice of an actual president that's viable. I don't have one. Now you're going to ask me which of the non-viable people do you like the best? Rogan responds, this is the real issue with the Democratic Party. They've essentially made us all morons with this Joe Biden thing. Weinstein laughs and says, can you imagine? (laughs) I can. 
Rogan said, I can't vote for that guy. And Weinstein said, I can't vote for him. I can't vote for Trump. But here's what gets interesting. Rogan says, I'd rather vote for Trump than Biden. I don't think he can handle anything. You're relying entirely on his cabinet. If you want to talk about an individual leader who can communicate, he can't do that. And we don't know what the F he'll be like after a year in office. The pressure of being president of the United States is something that no one has ever prepared for. The only one who seems to be fine with it is Trump. Oddly enough, he doesn't seem to be aging at all or in any sort of decline. Obama almost immediately started looking older. George W. Bush almost immediately started looking older. I agree. And I think the reason is whether you like the guy or not, Donald Trump is used to the spotlight and the attention, the love and the hate. And so to him, it's just another day, right? He's just the same old thing. Well, for whatever reason, I don't really know. But look, man, Joe's right. Biden is not viable. Progressives even get it. And you got to you got to understand this moderate Democrat types who want Joe Biden. Don't look at me because I don't. This is how many Bernie voters feel. We just saw in January Joe saying, I'd, I'd probably vote for Bernie. And now you're giving him this choice, Joe Biden or Trump. Guess what? He's going to vote for Trump. <laughs> I don't know if Joe's actually going to vote for Trump. I don't want to put that you know, on him. He's, he made a passive comment. I'm sure he said it. He forgot all about it. And here we go. The, me- the media machine will start churning. I do think it's kind of funny, though, that you know, when, when Joe Rogan made this comment about Bernie, a bunch of articles, you know, a, a bunch of news outlets started picking it up. When he makes this comment about Trump, it's kind of no one says anything. But don't be surprised if the progressives come out of the woodwork to accuse Joe. Aha, this is proof. He's all of the worst things we've ever called him. Breitbart said, Rogan's comments come after he called Biden very old and mocked his frequent verbal flubs as not a normal way to communicate unless he's high as F. Joe's podcast is great, by the way. (laughs) In the same podcast interview, Rogan predicted that President Trump is going to eat him alive in the 2020 election. Rogan, whose Joe Rogan Experience podcast is one of the most popular in the world, garnered headlines in January. So, so you know all that. Let's, let's move on. I want to show you some examples. Recently, Joe was also having a conversation, I believe, with Brian Redband. And he said, it's exhausting when, when reporters use every story as a chance to S on Trump. The podcasting star interviewed comedian Brian Redband this week when the subject turned to Trump's handling of the global pandemic. Rogan cited coverage of experimental coronavirus treatments, particularly particularly the anti-malarial drugs chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine to highlight biased reporting. Quote, you can't give the president a hard time for talking about what doctors are talking about because legitimate people are talking about that combination of things. He said after citing an individual who died or taking a non-pharmaceutical form of chloroquine phosphate used to treat disease in aquarium fish. Let me just stop tell you that story. I know most of you probably know it, but there's probably a few who don't. A man and a woman ingested some kind of fish tank anti-parasitic. The man died. The woman didn't. There's a lot of there's a lot behind this. Apparently, the woman was a Democratic donor. It's the rumors were well, I don't say rumors, but this is a story that's coming out now. So people are questioning what really happened. But apparently they mixed this fish tank anti-parasitic into their drinks, drank it. The guy died. The media ran wild blaming Trump. And that's just absurd. One of the jokes I've seen from this is Donald Trump tells you to wash your hands, man drowns, it's Trump's fault. That's what the media does. No matter what he says, it's wrong. I'm going to show you the proof. Let's move on, though. Various pundits attempted to put culpability on Trump's shoulders for the man's death. Quote, just because you hate Trump, you can't distort this and make it seem like Trump did something irresponsible by talking about this hopeful disease medication. And these people took the wrong version of it and died. Like, that's a cautionary tale. It's not a chance to S on Trump. 
But everything's a chance to S on Trump. It's so exhausting. It's effing weird, man. It's weird. How do you think regular people feel every day? This is the media can't seem to get a handle on. We're talking about one of the most popular podcasts in the world, quite literally in terms of conversational podcast. It's Joe Rogan. There's a, there's a dude right now just got off work. He's a plumber. His name is John. He's not super into politics. He likes MMA and he's listening to Joe Rogan. And he's like, I hear you, man. I feel very similar based on what I hear. I'm not saying that John the plumber or whatever, you know, we saw we had the whole Joe the plumber thing back in the day represents literally everyone. I'm just saying they're regular Americans. And there's a reason why they listen to this dude. You got to look at what he's saying because people feel similarly. Quote, what he's saying, there's also a factor that we have to consider that all these people out of work could, oh, in, in reference to the economy, could lead to suicide. It could lead to drug addiction. And he's right, you know, he's right. That's irrefutable. Just because you hate Trump, you can't pretend that this isn't going to be rough for people. It's true, man. Yet for some reason, we see all of these stories. Check this out. He, Joe's completely right. Bad advice from the president. Trump touts unproven coronavirus drugs. Politico, Trump's push for risky malaria drugs disrupts coronavirus response. Quote, all this buzz is confusing the American public, said, said one health advisor. Here's one. Quote, this is insane. Many scientists lament Trump's embrace of risky malaria drugs for coronavirus. How can, how can we get to this point where now on April 2nd, from the Washington Times, hydroxychloroquine rated, quote, most effective therapy by doctors for coronavirus global survey. What was all of this media punditry? They are just people who exist to say that no matter what Trump does, he is wrong. Here's your proof, man. On the 19th, TechCrunch ran this story. French study finds anti-malarial and antibiotic combo could reduce COVID-19 duration. So Trump sees a story. He talks about it, says we're looking into it. For all you know, one of these health advisors went to Trump and say, hey, we're seeing the story. And he's like, great, I'll, I'll, I'll let people know we're working on it. And then the media runs wild. Now we have this story. An international poll of more than 6,000 doctors released Thursday found that the anti-malarial drug hydroxychloroquine was the most highly rated treatment for the novel coronavirus. I don't, I, don't need, I don't need to even read more for this for you. You get the point. When, when stories started coming out that this was working, Trump came out and said it was working. And the media just used that as an orange man bad rage bait opportunity. And guess what? Regular people can see this happening all the time. So I don't even want to say that Joe Rogan is necessarily going to be an influential factor in whether people vote for someone or not. I'm, I'm sure it's true. But just take into consideration that his view on this is from a relatively apolitical commenter, commentator. Joe's an MMA guy. He does know a decent amount of politics, but not as much as politicos do. So if you're a consultant for the Democrats or something, you got to look at him and see that's what people are thinking. Now check this out. Public approval for Trump's handling of the coronavirus is really, really high. I've shown, you know, I've shown everybody this over and over again. But this is what's fascinating to me, that you actually have people in media pretending like Trump is always doing things bad, but the American people don't agree with you. I mean, it could be that what we're seeing in the polls is similar, is exactly how, you know, Joe Rogan is influenced. Now, I will be fair and point out one of the latest polls, Trump is underwater for the first time in a long time. And it could be due to a lot of reasons. I'm not entirely sure. It could just be the poll. It could be a blip. It could be a lot of things. Joe Rogan on Joe Biden. Trump is going to eat him alive. We all know it, man. We all feel the same way. Joe Biden is not a viable option yet. This is exactly where we are. The case against the case against Joe Rogan. His support is valuable precisely because he's not progressive on everything. This is, I want to highlight this because it brings up a couple things. Like, like I mentioned early on, 
I don't think there's going to be a single conservative who's going to complain that someone's saying Trump is better than Biden. I think you're going to see moderate voters agreeing whether they want to vote for Trump or not. They might roll their eyes and be like, yeah, you know, I guess conservatives are going to cheer. But when it was the left, when it was Bernie Sanders, when Joe Rogan was saying that, you know, he wanted to vote for Bernie, they attacked him for it. It's absolutely insane. Well, anyway, back to the other point, but I just wanted to highlight that, but we'll, we'll, we'll get back on track. When he mentioned that Trump was going to eat Joe Biden alive, he was right. It's because Joe Biden is in hard cognitive decline. From March 8th, quote, this isn't going away. Jill Stein warns Biden's biggest risk is his obvious cognitive decline, and we can all see it. You, you can't ignore this. It won't go away. They say Stein who graduated from Harvard Medical School in 1979, warned Democrats that Biden might flounder on the campaign trail because of his obvious cognitive decline. The 77-year-old former vice president has experienced a series of mental flubs throughout, throughout the primary, such as a recent botched attempt at reciting lines from the Declaration of Independence. But, quote, Biden's lies and record are bad enough, but the biggest risk is his obvious cognitive decline, Stein said in a tweet. He said he's running for Senate, confused his wife and sister, forgot Obama's name. This isn't going away. If Dems close their eyes and keep pushing Joe, it'll be an agonizing eight months ahead. But you know what else? The media has been covering for him, and it's the same way they covered for Hillary Clinton. Take a look at this. I love this. From Glenn Greenwald's The Intercept. Democrats and their media allies impugned Biden's cognitive fitness. Now they feign outrage. The story starts by highlighting how Hillary Clinton made a bunch of racist remarks about Barack Obama to smear him. And then he goes down and says this, quote, this is a grave matter, not just because the establishment wing of the Democratic Party wants to put him in charge of the world's most dangerous nuclear arsenal. That's Biden. A large chunk of this planet's health and the welfare of hundreds of millions of people, but also because it directly pertains to whether he can sustain the rigors and spotlight of a general election against the incumbent president and multiple incidents over the past couple of weeks from Biden's forgetting the words to the most iconic and memorized passage of the Declaration of Independence to confusing his wife for his sister to spouting sentences that make no sense have only intensified those worries. But as the Democratic establishment has united with creepy speed and obedience behind Biden in order to stop the Sanders candidacy, those who now raise these concerns instantly come under a withering assault of insults and attacks from Democratic Party operatives, along with their crucial media allies, thinly disguised pro-Biden reporters who continue to insist on wearing the unconvincing and fraudulent costume of neutrality. They are invoking the classic Orwellian formulation from the novel 1984. The party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. It was their final most essential command. It's exactly what they do. The Washington Monthly, the disinformation campaign being launched against Biden. There is no data to support the allegation that he is in cognitive decline. Nobody came out and said, did you see the latest Harvard study that tracked Joe Biden's cognitive decline? There's no data and there doesn't need to be. We can see the guy can barely speak. It's kind of sad. I'm not trying to be mean to the guy, but come on. He's just not there. You know what's going to happen? Trump is going to win in a massive landslide, and everybody knows it. Former Obama advisor Pluff predicts historical level of turnout by Trump supporters. It's not just going to be Trump supporters. If Joe, Joe Rogan should be a canary in the coal mine for, for, for politicians. But I'll tell you what, man, the Democrats have been panicking. It's what they do. I want to go back to this story from 2016. The new birthers debunking the Hillary Clinton health conspiracy. I want to point out exactly what the media does. You see, in 2016, Hillary Clinton was ill. I'm not going to pretend to know. I'm not a doctor. 
Now, there were videos of her collapsing there to this day, memes about her being tossed into an SUV because she fainted. There's numerous videos of her walking upstairs, falling down, and everyone could see it. These videos were insanely viral. Paul Joseph Watson put out a video about her, about her illness. Got, I'm pretty sure he's got millions of views on that video. Yet the media would insist it was all a big conspiracy. You see that? Well, here's what they did. They go for the fringiest of fringe accusations. At the very least, people saw her fainting all the time. And an average moderate individual might say, she looks ill. But eventually you'll find some fringe character who says she clearly has, you know, lizard people disease from beyond the realm of the outer earth or, you know, some really fringe idea. Now, for the most part, they'll try and base it in reality. They look for people who make accusations saying they knew she had Parkinson's, they knew what she was sick with, and then CNN debunks those. But the reality was she was sick and we all knew it. The media was covering for her the same as they're covering for Biden now because they never learn. The Democratic establishment doesn't learn. You know what I think it is? Some, this is one thing that they've, that's been talked about a lot in media, that Republicans have begun to dominate digital. The Democrats have lost their edge on technology that they had with Obama. I don't think they realize how viral media works. That's why, I mean, look, they say the left can't meme, right? There was this rally. I think it was in South Carolina or something. I don't remember where where Hillary Clinton put on a Southern drawl and everyone online saw her do it. And they were like, that's not how she talks. That's weird. She's pretending to have an accent. She seems to think, and the, these, these people in media seem to think that they've isolated groups of people and can lie to them and get away with it. But we all have Twitter. We all have, you know, used YouTube and Facebook. We can watch videos. We can see the videos. We can see you're lying. I mean, more importantly, people listen to Joe Rogan, but the media would try and debunk this. And what do we get? Hillary Clinton is set back by decision to keep illness secret from the New York Times. Are you kidding me? I, re- I remember this. I was, I was just laughing, laughing as hard as I could possibly laugh. You know, they kept saying it was a conspiracy theory that she was sick. There was no evidence to suggest she was sick. And then later she came out and said that she had pneumonia the whole time. Now, some people were adamant that she had something else, but I don't care what she had. She was sick. She lied. Everybody knew the fainting makes sense. You know why? Perhaps she really did have ammonia. I'm, I'm sorry, pneumonia. That's what the New York Times said, because she was having a hard time breathing and then shortness of breath, and then she would faint and they would catch her. So yes, pneumonia, something that people get, kept it a secret. The media lied and protected her. So how long until the media starts to admit that Joe Biden is out of his mind? I'm gonna give a shout out to Bernie Sanders. I'm not a big fan of his policies. I think he's got all of his faults. But right now, Bernie Sanders has been putting out uh, statements. He's been doing fundraisers. And this is not for me to say you should or shouldn't vote for anybody. You vote for whoever you want, right? Bernie Sanders is not likely to be the nominee. Joe Biden right now is saying that he's going he's gonna to move forward with the VP you know, vetting process, even though he hasn't officially been confirmed because you know, we're, in this kind of, we're in this crisis. Things are, are, are standing still. But Biden is the presumptive nominee. Bernie Sanders calls for $2,000 monthly payments suspending some bills amid pandemic. Bernie Sanders has given many cognitive, you know, uh, uh, well, many fine statements like his brain works. He can communicate effectively. Joe Biden can't. Joe Biden recently on MSNBC said that we got to do a few things. And his three point plan was incoherent muttering. I'm not exaggerating or trying to be mean. There's this weird thing going on where progressives and Trump supporters all recognize the problem of, of, of Joe Biden. And Joe Rogan certainly does as well. Yet there are these establishment Democrats that don't care because they think that can win. There was a, there was this uh, political cartoon going around 
where it showed someone wearing like an Antifa badge, literally said Antifa, and he was holding up a sign and he said, and he looked over, he was looking up a bunch of signs for all the things they wanted, like Medicare for all, free college. And then he looks over at Joe Biden, who's holding up a sign saying, vote, uh, uh, defeat Trump. And he's like, you're out of touch. Do you think you can win by taking someone who can barely speak, someone who is in clear cognitive decline that most people can recognize and placing him up against Trump under the premise of we just don't want Trump? That doesn't make sense. If somebody was willing to do whatever it took to beat Trump and vote for someone who is in a, in a major kind of decline, why wouldn't they just vote for Bernie Sanders? You're not helping your argument. Seems to me that the, the logic actually is the Democrats will do anything to stop a Bernie. They don't, they don't actually mind Trump for the most part. They would rather stop Bernie Sanders and let Trump win. From Common Dreams, still ahead of his time, new video details Bernie Sanders' prescient warnings about pandemic threat and need for Medicare for all. Quote, Voters are watching in real time as Bernie Sanders' platform, Medicare for All, a federal housing guarantee, paid leave for everyone, and much else is looking more and more like a common sense solution to huge problems. Now, here's where I disagree with Bernie. It's an emergency provision. It can't last forever. It's going to be bad for the economy. It's going to devalue our currency. We're borrowing from ourselves in the future. It's going to negatively impact people's savings and the value they have in their homes. Just everything is bad about it. But we need emergency provisions, not, not permanent provisions. So Bernie can make these arguments. And you know what? Good. I appreciate the arguments. I disagree with them. And I will argue them. And I will say exactly what I, what I just did. Joe Biden hasn't argued anything. He's just basically said, it's just gibberish. He's not even saying words. Half the, or a lot of the time, he's not saying words. Sometimes he's just saying words that don't make cohesive sentences. Look, we got to get the president. The thing is that, well, there's, you know, it's getting on the shortages of. <laughs> there were words in there somewhere, but it didn't make any sense. The media is going to defend that and prop it up. And we can all see through your lies. It's about time to drop the act, man, because there's going to be a record voter turnout for Donald Trump in November. And you're going to get all of the people like, you know, look, I, I'm, I'll, I'll wrap this up. I'm not saying Joe Rogan is going to vote for Trump, but he said it himself. He'd rather, have, he'd rather vote for Trump than Biden. Now, that could just be an exaggerated statement to point out how out of his mind Joe Biden is. But trust me, man, people really feel that way. A progressive friend of mine was telling me that she thought Joe Biden had dementia and she'd still be willing to vote for it. And I was like, that's absurd. That's absolutely absurd. If she thinks that, how many people think he actually has dementia? No matter what they want to say in the media, that there's no data to suggest it's true. We can see the guy, man. We can see with our own two eyes. It doesn't matter if you can point out, you know, numbers and percentages and decimal points. What matters is that we, we watch a man get up on stage and struggle to speak. And you think he can go up against Trump. You're nuts. The media needs to back off. But I, 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 you know what? I'd have to conclude the simple solution is it must be on purpose, right? I, come on. No one in their right mind thinks this guy's going to win. Well, here we are. Ah, we'll see if there's even going to be an election. We'll see how long this thing lasts. But I'll wrap it up there. Thanks for hanging out. Next segment will be coming up at 6 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast News. It is a different channel, and I will see you all then. The other day, people in New York got an emergency alert text to their phones asking that if they were a medical professional or student or whatever to be to volunteer to help as the medical system is becoming strained. The economy is in dire straits and it's only getting worse. And now we're hearing that businesses in New York City have begun preparing for mass civil unrest. I'm not kidding, man. 
I've got these, these photos to show you. Things are getting rough. There's photos of people lining up outside of food banks without food. We are looking at something very, very severe. I'm going to read you these stories, and I want you to take this seriously, but I want to I I tell you something before we do get started. I was thinking about the last hurricane I was set to cover. I, it was, uh, I was in Florida, and people were panicking. They were going to stores. They were buying up everything, water, food, toilet paper. It was very similar in a certain light to what we started seeing at the beginning of this crisis. People were saying, uh, you know, on the TV and the media that here's the forecast projection. We see this happening. This is the most likely path. The hurricane will slam into Florida. It will be one of the worst things we've ever seen. And that's what they thought. The projections were wrong. And the hurricane turned and it missed Florida. Everybody was okay. But nobody blames the weather forecaster. We know that the meteorologists don't know what's going to happen. They're giving us their best bet projections. And yes, there is a possibility that things don't get that bad. Right now, we're facing something very, very similar. The only thing is it's going to affect the entire country. It's affecting the entire world. We're seeing businesses be boarded up. We're seeing stores get raided because we know the storm is coming. So for the life of me, I don't understand why people are, are downplaying this or acting like something's not right. Something can't be happening. I'm hearing people spread th- th- these rumors. And, and maybe there's some veracity to it. I don't know. The rumor is that anybody who dies, they'll just say it was COVID. If that were true, then what's causing the increase in deaths? They're talking about more police officers losing their lives, doctors losing their lives, people, their husbands, their wives, their, brother, their brothers and their sisters. If, if you think they're dying of some natural cause and then they're just being labeled as COVID, what's causing the increase in deaths? That's scary. Or what is it? The death note? Someone just writing their name in a book? If you get the reference. No, the reality is the storm is coming and New York is panicking. I, 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 maybe panicking is a bit unfair, but I'll tell you what, man, follow the money at the very least. When luxury shops start boarding up their buildings, the people, the money changers, they're the ones who are, who are worried the most. You know, you can talk about, we, we always talk about projections and polls. And when it comes to politics, the pollsters want to make you think their person's going to win. And I always tell people, go look at Vegas. Vegas doesn't care who wins. They care they make money, which means they need to make sure that they're, 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 the odds they have on these people are correct. When luxury businesses start boarding up their windows and, and doors and people are like, ah, oh, why are you doing this? Dude, it's because we've seen the reports. New York has had to run out of supplies the next week or so. They're calling it D-Day this weekend. They're saying it's going to get very, very serious. The people who run these luxury businesses have better access than you realize. They know stuff. They run big businesses. And it's not just that, but a lot of these businesses are the lifeblood of New York. Not all of them, not every luxury brand, but a lot of these small businesses, and I'm talking about Louis Vuitton, they're the ones who need to stay up and running to keep New York functioning as a machine. But these people, I'm assuming, are getting briefed by the city to let them know what's going on with their businesses. Well, now we can see the first, I want to read through the, the riot and unrest, but I want to show you this. This is, this is really crazy. New York City sent out a push alert to all phones asking licensed healthcare workers to volunteer in overburdened facilities. We're also hearing that students, like medical students, nurses, are being conscripted, basically. It's a little hyperbolic, but they're being told, you're going to graduate early. We're certifying you. Get on the front line. That's how serious they expect this to get. We had over a thousand people lose their lives in the past day. I think it's fair to say this is much worse than the flu, and it's only going to get worse. And you can believe whatever you want, man. But I'll tell you what, if these, if these businesses are projecting or are, are, are preparing for mass civil unrest, I don't care if you think, you know, the virus isn't that big a deal. I think you're wrong. I think it is a big deal. I think it's very scary. And I think we got to take it seriously, calm, 
rational, strategic. But keep in mind that people are also a panicky bunch. We all saw them run in full speed to start fighting over toilet paper. We're looking now at New York City running out of supplies, businesses being boarded up. So you know what I'm going to say to you? I'm going to tell you one more thing too. Quarter two just started, all right? Revenue across the board is dropping. Media companies taking a big hit, and that includes me too. I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to be insulated. I didn't know how YouTube ad rev was going to hold up. And then I just got the, the numbers in the past couple of days. Wow. Yeah, I mean, this is down 60, 70%. It's, 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 it's going to be bad for everybody. I'm grateful to still be, uh, still be able to work. But with that being said, I'm going to do something that maybe some people don't like, but I'm going to give a shout out to safeandreadymeals.com. This is a promotional spot, full disclosure. It helps support my channel, helps my business keep running, keeping you know, pe- uh, staff paid and everything like that. It's, a, it's an, an emergency food supply. They've got two-week, four-week supply. If it's not for you, you can go ahead and ignore me. There is a shipping delay, but I do have emergency food. I went and stocked up. And I'll, I'll, show, you, I'll show you this uh, right here. Sh- uh, shocking scenes in Orlando where half-mile line of cars wait for food bank after theme parks shut down, put thousands out of work. As government reveals, coronavirus has so far made 10 million Americans unemployed. These are people lining up because they need food. I'm grateful to the workers who are handing out the food. I'm grateful that people are able to get the food they need. And I don't know to, to, you know, to what extent this will affect every, you know, every other sector. Will it reach you? I don't know. New York is already boarding up their businesses. Businesses are shut down. Maybe it's going to be harder at some point to get food. We're hearing some people are being arrested for breaking quarantine, but they tell you you can still go out and buy, buy food. Jobless claims, 10 million claims in the past two weeks. Take it seriously. I'm not trying to freak anyone out. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you are prepared. So if you're interested in getting an emergency food supply, safeandreadymeals.com. The link will be in the description below and you can pick up, they have a variety of stuff. The company actually has a bunch of other stuff too. They've got like, I don't know, flashlights and camping gear, but I do have emergency food. Please take it seriously. And when you buy from Safe and Ready Meals, it does help support my channel at a time when ad revenue is collapsing. So I hope you understand also, there are two reasons why I do this. For one, I, like many others, don't want to see my business collapse. And with your support, I don't have to worry about that. But there's a reason why I'm not doing any of this other survival gear stuff. You know, of course, people have tried to make me sell, you know, Leatherman tools and stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 man. Look, right now, I think it's, I think it's safe to say this is a legit thing that would be good for you an emergency food supply. I apologize for doing a promo spot, but I hope you understand that revenue is down across the board for everybody and I am no exception. So, uh, but, but again, in all seriousness, no, I, I do think this is legit stuff. Absolutely. They have coffee too and you know, whatever, but I, I do have emergency food. Let's just do this. Let's read about what's going on in New York City with the boarding up of these, uh, these buildings. The Daily Mail says, high-end stores throughout New York, such as Louis Vuitton and Dolce Gabbana, are boarding up their windows in anticipation of civil unrest as the death toll in the city reached 1,867 on Friday with 305 new deaths. The wealthy businesses had already been ordered closed along with bars and restaurants as part of the shelter-in-place protections, but they are now taking further steps to secure their property and products as the city's police department suffers high numbers of officers calling in sick, with the coronavirus raging through its ranks. New York City cases spiked to 57,159 on Friday night, with 5,350 new cases, the national total is 277, basically 278,000 confirmed cases, 7,164 7, deaths. So yeah, that's, that's in like one month, I, I, I mind you. Boarded up windows and empty streets have transformed the city that never sleeps into a war zone, with city officials sending out 
an emergency alert to New Yorkers phones on Friday, calling on health workers to present themselves for battle against the coronavirus outbreak on the front lines in the city's overstretched, overwhelmed and under-resourced hospitals. The alert came amid warnings that New York City will run out of crucial supplies by the end of the week and that Sunday will be D-Day in terms of assessing what is needed for the weeks going forward. If you're, if you're a naysayer watching this and you don't think it's a big deal, then fine. Just think about what you need to keep yourself safe and it's the best thing you can do. If, if, if you are taking it seriously, and I think you should, keep in mind going out, getting into this, like people going to beaches and parties, you'll get sick. So you don't want to get sick, so don't do it. But at the very least, for everybody, just take care of yourselves, calmly plan for what you and your family need. And even if you don't believe it, businesses are closing, people are panicking. There's a lot more than just the pandemic happening. There's the economic collapse. And it's going to be scary what people start doing. In Italy, we've already seen food riots. I hope you understand the the, the point I'm trying to make. When these businesses start shutting down, the number of cases in NYC it's, 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 it's way up. I mean, it's not, it's, it's staggered a little bit and this could be what we're seeing right here. I wonder if, you know, if, if it's based at all on like people going on the weekends or something, I don't know. We had on, on the second 6,100 new cases, then on the third 5,350, the death toll is it's, it's up. And this is just New York. You can see on this boarded up Dylan Murphy's we're all in this together. Stay home, save lives. Medical professionals bringing out bodies. They say Dolce and Gabbana, Jimmy Chu and Louis Vuitton were among the Manhattan stores to cover up their windows with plywood in the past weeks as the crisis in the city worsened, despite streets being empty of customers or even passerby. The rows of boarded up buildings create a stark reminder of the newly employed workers who lost their jobs after the scale of the outbreak caused stores, bars and restaurants to shut their doors for the foreseeable future. Some businesses attempted to light the mood on the closures, despite the rows of plywood covering their entrance painting messages of support and encouragement that the coronavirus will be beaten. Throughout Manhattan, the unsightly coverings are offset with the words of motivation. Louis Vuitton in Soho was among the storefronts to leave its customers a message on the wooden boards guarding its property, reading, the journey that was paused will eventually start again. Louis Vuitton wishes you and your loved ones health and safety. At the very least, I can say I'm, I'm glad that we as Americans are starting to prioritize what's important amid this crisis. Luxury shops are being closed. And what do we really care about right now? Food stores, you know, grocery stores, essential, essential workers. The boarded up windows appear as New York, as the uh, NYPD reveals the extent to which its force is being ravaged by the virus with one detective and seven civilian workers dying in recent days. The NYPD was forced to beg the government to send more masks for officers only for the White House to turn it into a publicity stunt with the catchy name of Operation Blue Buds, Bloods, and boast about its own response. Yeah, yeah, I don't care, Daily Mail. On Monday, NYPD Chief of De- uh, Department Terrence Monahan had sent a desperate email to the White House pleading for more protective gear. Shortages of masks have left officers at an increased risk of contracting the infection, as they are left with no choice but to make house calls across the city without any protective equipment. I, I don't know if this is true, because I don't have it pulled up, or actually, here we go. Here we go. Here's the numbers. As, as of figures released Thursday, 6,498 uniformed members of the NYPD were on the sick report, uh, amounting to 18% of the workforce, while 1,354 uniformed members and 169 civilian members have tested positive. So for, this is what I don't understand. For people who think it's not legit, it's not really that bad. So nearly 6,500 6, NYPD are on a sick report. Like, are they just making it up? 
Is that normal? That seems like a lot. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe we're just focusing on it. No, I think it's legit. I think it's, I think it's serious. With more than 1,400 NYPD uh, employees diagnosed with coronavirus and 10 dead, some worry authorities' attempts to help citizens could actually hurt them. The police are themselves both at risk of getting sick and at risk of spreading the disease to others. Police need to practice social distancing. On Friday, Police Commissioner Dermot Shea revealed that two more NYPD officers died of coronavirus. School safety agent Louis Albino died Friday after spending 20 years with the department. He was most recently assigned to the Bronx. So here's one of the reasons the, the buildings are being boarded up. People are going to run out of supplies. The, the hospitals are going to get overwhelmed. At least that's what we're projecting. Like I was saying with the hurricane, sometimes the hurricane misses. And you know, projections have been lower than what people actually thought they were going to be. And that's okay. That's a good thing. We were wrong. Wonderful. But with the NYPD and the NYPD getting hurt by this, there's going to be less people to actually respond to any kind of civil unrest. Auxiliary Police Lieutenant Pierre Moyes, who joined the force in 94 and worked in Brooklyn, also passed away. Over the weekend, NYPD officers arrested three people in Brooklyn after they allegedly failed to maintain social distancing. Nah, I don't like that either. While violating social distancing is not a crime itself, the individuals arrested faces charges like unlawful assembly, disorderly conduct, and obstructing governmental administration. Sounds like an excuse for violating the First Amendment, but I get it. These arrests and the person-to-person contact that comes with it happened after Mayor Bill de Blasio threatened to fine residents who were ignoring emergency social distancing orders. People found violating such orders could face a fine of $250 to $500. Similarly, Governor Andrew Cuomo warned he would make social distancing a law and called on the NYPD PD to anti-up enforcement. The NYPD has to get more aggressive, period. But more forceful police officers could mean more infections, and it could exacerbate any potential risk of civil unrest. There was a guy paddleboarding. You probably heard about it. We talked about it. Got arrested. The police, the lifeguards, whatever, actually broke social distancing to arrest one guy who was paddleboarding out by himself. This stuff is getting over the top freaky. I think you can see why we're getting around 32,000 new infections per day in the US. And it's not going to taper off for like three weeks or so, because the average incubation, my understanding is around two weeks, but some potentially go up to a month, which means everything we're seeing is a delayed infection. People got infected a week or two ago, and now it's starting to get bad, but people are still packing these trains. New York is in serious trouble. I'm just going to say it, man. When you see all these people packed shoulder to shoulder in the train, this image going viral, and these people are getting sick, yeah, it's going to be two more weeks. The numbers are going to be substantially worse. No one gets it. No one seems to care. They think they're invincible. They don't think it's a big deal, whatever they might think. And then people are going to get it. New York is going to run out of supplies. They're not going to be able to reopen. And that's when people are just going to be like, I need food. I need stuff. And if the police keep getting sick because they have to be out working, then who's going to you know control any potential civil unrest? I'm not talking about people fighting for civil liberties. I'm talking about people who are like, well, nobody can stop me. And then they go and, you know, smash up some boards and raid a store or something. Concerns from businesses that they need to board up their store are yet uh, are, are as yet unwarranted with reports of less crime in the city, despite the marked difficulties of the NYPD to patrol the streets to the same extent with their own diminishing force. Yes, but it's not about the crime right now. It's the calm before the storm. The images we're seeing are very similar to hurricanes. Before the hurricane hits, everybody boards up and the streets are empty. After the hurricane hits, everything's destroyed, and sometimes people go out, loot, and riot. The city's new advice came just before President Trump announced at his own Friday press briefing that the the CDC was now recommending that Americans wear non-medical cloth masks, but pressed that it wasn't a mandate. 
So it's voluntary. You don't have to be doing it. This is voluntary. I don't think I'm going to be doing it. For days, top experts, including members of the Trump coronavirus task force, said they were debating whether or not to put a put out a mask recommendation. One concern is that Americans not working in the medical field would scoop up masks needed to protect doctors, nurses, first responders, and others on the front line. The big, the big thing now about masks is that it does offer some minimal protection, but it also stops, it makes you less likely from transmitting. And that's why they're saying scarves, whatever, cloth mask, anything you can cover your mouth with so you're not spitting, you know, and, and breathing on people, coughing on them. Closed. We will miss you. Thanks for your support. Look at these stores. Not all of them. This cafe, restaurants, just they're not boarded up, but Pizza Quadrata Romana of New York, they've boarded up their doors and windows. Yeah, because when it comes time, you know, when supplies dwindle and people are hungry, it is very difficult to get supplies into New York relative to other parts of the country. For days, Trump suggested that Americans could simply wear scarves to get by. But on Friday, he said the CDC was putting out the new recommendation for masks. From recent studies, we know that transmissions from individuals without symptoms is playing a more significant role in the spread of the virus than previously understood. So you don't seem to have symptoms and it still gets transferred. In light of these studies, the CDC is advising this, the, the use of non-medical cloth face coverings as an additional voluntary public health measure. Earlier on Friday, the city's mayor, Bill de Blasio, called on Trump to create a mandatory enlistment for healthcare workers in order to sufficiently staff hospitals. Mandatory. Are you ready for a wartime authoritarian world? Because we are walking into it. I hope you take this stuff seriously. You know, I'm going to have to say it again. I've said it in numerous videos, but there were people on Twitter and they were laughing and, and, and mocking me for promoting that emergency food stuff. And now we're at a point where stores are boarding up. Food is being depleted. The government of New York wants a mandatory enlistment for healthcare workers. What do you think happens when they can't pay these people? The economy is shut down. We're already hearing that some nurses are getting pay cuts. Doctors don't even know if they're going to get paid. The hospitals are, are struggling to, to pay their bills. There's no economy. How do you pay these people? You don't. You mandate it. How many people are going to be happy with that? You want to see how scary it gets? New York Times op-ed from Sandeep Johar is in a pandemic. Do doctors still have a duty to treat? We have obligations as professionals but also has husbands, wives, parents, and children. That's right. If this gets worse, and Trump said it's going to be the roughest couple of weeks you've ever seen, how many doctors and nurses are going to say, I cannot treat everyone. I must take care of my family. How many would rather say, my family members come first? How many are going to say, if you can't pay me, I can't work? And how many people in government are going to say, too effing bad, mandate? That's where it gets scary, man. During a press conference on Friday afternoon, de Blasio called on the president to do what no president has ever done before and force medical staff from around the U.S. to come to New York and fight. He says the theoretical army of doctors could then be deployed anywhere in the country to fight the virus where it strikes most viciously. Medical conscription. I am not a fan of forcing anybody to do anything for any reason. If there are people who are doctors, we need them to understand why they're helping. But if we get to a point where at the threat of force, we're, we're making people ab- abandon what they need to do to serve New York City, we have crossed a line. And that's when I don't know how we come back. I mean, I get it. We've had, we've had conscription for a long time. We got rid of it in the past 40 years. It still kind of exists. How many, how many nurses and doctors are going to hear this in the news and they're going to pack up and GTFO? Oh, you got a medical license? What's that? You quit? You're retired? 
They're going to come knocking on your door saying, suit up, you're going to the hospital. What if your family is sick? What if your friends are sick? What if you're concerned about taking care of your kids, the people you care about, and the city, the government, the president says, we don't care. I'm sorry. You have to come to the hospitals. You have to do what we tell you to do and, 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 and treat the people we tell you to treat. I don't like the sound of that, man. You are going to see, I, I, I got to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if from this, you already, you already have nurses and doctors fleeing New York. It's one thing to say, this is my job and I care about people and I'll fight for them. It's another thing when you realize that as it gets worse, they're going to lock you in. We're heading down a dark path. I don't know what comes next. Let's, uh, uh, yeah, they, they, that, that's when we saw the emergency alert pleading healthcare workers, you know, pleading with them to come on board. De Blasio also announced he has given the NYPD permission to raid businesses that are hoarding vital medical supplies. And here we go. I, I, I really do hope you've paid attention. I hope you've done what you need to do to protect your family. I went out a long time ago and got supplies and all that stuff, but we're getting really close and it's getting worse every day. I've already had conversations with, you know, my friends and family about the point at which we decide to, to leave the metropolitan areas. For now, I'm in an area that's, that's really nice. It's a, it's a, it's a suburb. Maybe we need to go further out into the middle of nowhere. I mean, maybe that's good social distancing, right? And, you know, we don't want to go into any communities, potentially spread anything or anything like that. None of us are sick. So it's a real, it's a, it's a real conundrum. At what point do we say it's time to leave? What about you? What do you think? Comment below. I'll see you on the next segment coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out. Where did Greta Thunberg go? Famous climate change activist traveling around the world, telling us that we've stolen her childhood and how dare you? She said that we had eight, maybe 12 years to make these changes to totally shut down fossil fuel production. Otherwise, the world would be irreparably damaged. She actually said we stole her childhood. But where did you go? Ever since the outbreak of, of the coronavirus, we're starting to see exactly what this is. It's hypocrisy. It's ignorance. One of the things that Greta Thunberg had been championing was completely shutting down fossil fuels. She said, we don't want to wait till 2050 or 2030 or even 2021. It must be done now. Yeah, but if we shut down all fossil fuel use, we'd have no vehicles, we'd have no food, farming would collapse, people would die, it would be horrifying. And what do you think people would say to her when people started dying? They would say, you are wrong. No, we can't do this. Well, that's where we are now. And it's not the same thing. They're not really that, that connected, though. Interestingly, we are seeing global carbon emissions drop dramatically now that people are quarantining in most countries. We're also seeing other interesting things. Reusable bags in San Francisco banned. You know why? Because they could potentially spread the coronavirus. They're bringing back plastic bags. The U.S. is not even in the top 10 contributors or top 15 contributors to plastic waste in the world, though they are number 20. And it is a serious issue. We don't want to be destroying the planet. We are not the worst. But more importantly, for all of this, Greta Thunberg never called out China. That's the hypocrisy and that's the ignorance. They, they, they were pumping out substantially more carbon emissions than we were, or, or you know, they're a top contributor. They're making all of this plastic waste, all of this garbage. There's smog and, tra and, and, and the air is filthy and disgusting. And she wouldn't call them out. And now we're facing this pandemic because China was lying. They didn't release the information. We can look, I'm not trying to, you know, be too harsh. I understand that she's a young person. She's very ignorant, and naive. And so I want to I want to direct for the most part my criticism at the people around her who propped her up and used her as a, a spokesperson or a mascot for these vanity issues. 
Now, I know there are other political causes that are more luxury, more more likely to be luxury items or more so luxury items, like these authoritarian social justice politics of woke movies and things. I think climate change is serious, but I think we have much more serious things to deal with. And the way she was going about it was ignoring the real problems, i.e. China, and basically telling us to just sacrifice our poor by shutting down the economy. Well, all of a sudden, we're now we're seeing all of these luxury polit- political items collapsing. The EU is complaining or, or they're warning this could bring about the end of the EU. No one really cares about climate change right now. You know why people are dying right now? And that's what would have happened if we took her advice, shutting down fossil fuels. People would die immediately and then they would go nuts. We saw rioting in France for over a year because they increased the fuel tax. I'm not saying I'd li- I like these things to happen. I'd like a cleaner, safer, better world. But I will point out there are many people who would lie, cheat, deceive, take things out of context, ignore the real threats. Let's read through these stories and see what's going on with the environment, because it seems like this is no longer relevant. Although Greta Thunberg is now trying to link the two. From New Scientist, Greta, we must fight the climate crisis and pandemic simultaneously. The world needs to tackle the coronavirus pandemic and climate change simultaneously and guard against people who try to use the current crisis to delay action on cutting carbon emissions, Greta Thunberg has urged. The Swedish climate activist who revealed last week that she and her father are likely to have had COVID-19 said the response to the outbreak revealed societal shortcomings as well as our ability to change in the face of a crisis. But it also proved that we are able to act fast. Quote, If one virus can wipe out the entire economy in a matter of weeks and shut down societies, then that then that is proof that our societies are not very resilient. It also shows that once we are in an emergency, we can act and we can change our behavior quickly. Still, is she going to mention China and that this could have been averted? I mean, many of the experts are saying if China released the accurate data early on, we could have prevented this. Some politicians have called for climate action to be put on hold while governments grapple with the coronavirus which the Czech Republic's prime minister, Andrei Babis, saying the European Union should forget about the Green Deal now. Thunberg said, people will try to use this emergency as an excuse not to act on the climate crisis and that we have to be very careful for and and that we have to be very careful for. She said she understood the emergency the world was facing now, but it wasn't an excuse to shelve action on emissions. Are you kidding? What do you mean? Emissions are totally down across the board. Uh Uh-oh, Politico says emissions are down thanks to coronavirus, but that's bad. Climate activists will have to carefully navigate political turbulence. Yeah, the hypocrisy is being exposed. You want to sacrifice the lives of millions of people? We're now seeing what happens when economies shut down. Politico reports, climate change activists face a category five political, financial and economic storm. Thanks to coronavirus a month ago, CEOs couldn't stop talking about their sustainability plans and green investments, and activists were gloating about a global movement for green deals. Today, the European Union is postponing climate law debates. The Fridays for Future protests are heading online, and carbon-intensive industries from aviation to oil are looking for bailouts. Any recession is unlikely. Any recession is unlikely to be a local blip. That's because the factors driving the initial economic downturn are global severe and hitting supply and demand at the same time. While that might cut emissions in the short term, that's little cause for joy. Gernot Wagner, a clinical associate professor at New York University Department of Environmental Studies, told MIT Technology Review, emissions in China are down because the economy has stopped and people are dying and because poor people are not able to get medicine and food. This is not an, anal- 
This is not an analogy for how we want to decrease emissions from climate change. Oh, well, that's coming from a, a, a MIT, right? What did Greta say? We want all fossil fuels shut down, not even by 2021 now. And then you would see dead people, a lack of medicine. You would see the harsh shutdown of both supply and demand at the same time, and people would have no access and they would die. The sheer hypocrisy, I swear. The, the, here's what they say. People, she, she's quoted. People don't want to hear about the climate crisis now. I completely understand that. But we have to make sure that it's not forgotten. We need to treat both of these crises at the same time because the climate crisis will not go away. The campaigner at, and the Fridays for Future movement, which she kickstarted with her future school strike in 2018, have made their weekly protests virtual during the pandemic. Students have been good at staying off the streets, said Thunberg. And although young people tend to have milder symptoms of the disease, we still stand in solidarity with those in risk groups. And I think that is a very beautiful thing. Thunberg has had mild symptoms of COVID-19 with some tiredness and a cough, but said that the more intense ones that her father experienced fit with the symptoms of the illness exactly. Neither have been tested, as Sweden is only testing the most severe cases. Let's talk about the sheer hypocrisy. She's Swedish. Sweden has a much more severe outbreak than, say, Norway. At least that's what I'm being told. Sweden, I've seen reports, is doing very little to stem the outbreak. They're ignoring this actual crisis, which is damaging the economy and hurting people, causing mass death. And we can see what even in her circumstance, she's not getting adequate treatment. Why would I take the word of, of people you know, in this country when this is how they respond to an actual global crisis and people are losing their lives? I don't want to paint you a picture that I'm saying Greta Thunberg is the Swedish government, right? But you look at her country, you see how they're treating this. Why would I listen to these activists? I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just not interested. They say 2019 was incredible for Thunberg. She was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Luxury politics. It's so easy to say, you know, in 12 years, the planet might be damaged. And what does that really mean? Look, I get it. Climate change is a problem. We don't want to be frogs boiling, just sitting there waiting for the world to bubble around us. We want to take things seriously. We want to invent new technology and make the world a better place. But think about all of the lies that have been, that have been espoused recently about how certain treatments are bad and they're good. Why would I trust any of these, these, these lefty activist types when every single thing Trump says is, is wrong? He, he comes out and says, you know, oh, things are going to get bad. And they say Trump is fear mongering. He says things are going to be OK. And they say Trump is downplaying. Trump says, hey, we got, a, we got a treatment for you. And they say Trump is touting a dangerous cocktail of drugs. So I'm going to trust these activists now. No, we, we're actually getting a glimpse of what we could have expected if we went forward with her plan. Now, here's where it gets interesting. There's actually being a walk back of a lot of these environmental policies. I'm not necessarily saying it's, I'm a fan, but it's important to point out the U.S. is not one of the largest. Well, arguably, we are not the one of the largest contributors of plastic waste in the world, though we are a contributor for sure. There's a lot of plastic waste we're making. We should recycle this and we should deal with this problem. But why isn't Greta Thunberg calling out China? That's always been the big question. One of the worst polluters in India. Yet it's always about what we do in the West. Welcome black, welcome, welcome back plastic bags. Single use plastic bags are a miracle of modern technology, cheap, light, convenient, and ubiquitous. They provide an elegant solution to a problem. If you recycle them, as most people do, and put that, put your rubbish in them, that creates a net reduction in carbon emissions compared with buying the heavier, thicker garbage bags sold in stores. Best of all, they're sanitary. 
Cue up a head spinning headline. San Francisco has just banned the use of reusable tote bags and switched back to single use plastic bags to help fight the spread of the coronavirus. In New Hampshire on March 21st, Governor Chris Sununu signed an executive order uh, to the same effect. Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker followed soon on March 25th. A main ban on plastic bags was due to take effect on April 22nd, but has just been pushed back until next year. So we're going to use the plastic bags now, but we recognize that there is an inherent risk of infection, infectious disease from reusable bags. Then why don't we just recycle the plastic ones better and keep using them because they're sanitary? Well, how does this make sense? Whoever could have warned us that cloth tote bags were unhygienic? Well, there was this New York Post column who, uh, columnist who wrote six years ago, reusing the earth-friendly tote gradually turns it into a chemical weapon and noted that plastic bags were associated in one study with a 46% increase in death from foodborne illnesses. Pla- I'm sorry, plastic bag bans were associated with a 46% increase in deaths from foodborne illnesses. Cloth tote bags are inconvenient. They're eco-unfriendly more carbon emissions than single-use plastic, unless you use them more than 14 times, which people tend not to do. And oh, by the way, they're deadly. So what was the impetus behind the plastic bag bans in the first place? Liberals find plastic annoying. Think of liberalism as a teen girl disgust from the movie Inside Out, who comically overreacts to everything that makes her uncomfortable, except when liberals say, ew, they quell their emotional reactions with regulation. Occasionally, you'll see a plastic bag stuck in some branches or a storm drain, and liberals can't have that. Ew. Well, I will also point out, I remember when they said, stop using paper bags because we got to save the trees, man. Start using plastic bags. They're better. Now we're going back to using paper bags and using reusable bags. Now, the paper bags are maybe a solution, but we have another environmentalist report coming out that the U.S. is losing trees. So you know what? There's never going to be a right answer, and therein lies the big problem. Some people have said the problem is there are too many human beings. Yeah, maybe that's it. What do you do? What do you propose? Well, Greta has proposed cutting off fossil fuels, which, was, which would result in millions of people dead. I don't think she understands the full gravity of what she's saying, but she also wrote an op-ed talking about colonialism and patriarchy. So I'm pretty sure she has no idea what she's talking about. We don't want to implement programs that are going to result in tons of people dying. We're going to have to invent new technology. We're going to have to invent our way out of this. That's the best thing we can do. Here's a quote. You see them hanging in trees in poor communities like bizarre Christmas ornaments. The New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, said last April, they're all over the waterways. There's no reason for them. It's about time we ban them. So Cuomo did, in fact, ban them starting March 1st, although because the ban is not due to be enforced until May 15th, some New York stores still offer them, even as others have already yanked them. You can imagine the grinding noise that must be taking place in the back of Cuomo's mouth these days as he considers the possibility that he was wrong. The state of New York has taken breathtakingly extreme and unprecedented steps to slow the spread of the virus. But because no politician ever wants to admit he made a mistake, especially right after pushing through a policy change, so far, Cuomo hasn't called for restoring the plastic bag policy of just five weeks ago to fight the virus. Even if this is so obviously good, even if this is so obviously a good idea that even San Francisco has bowed to reality. If Cuomo thinks there's no reason for plastic bags, he hasn't thought very much about the matter. Picture what it might be like to do, say, an August run to pick up groceries, then get the kids, then take them to their judo lessons, then come back home. All the while, there are packages of, of, of ground beef dripping and seeping into the reusable cloth tote bag in the trunk. Is it wise to keep reusing that cloth tote bag? You might forget to wash it. You might not be aware that bacteria are collecting in the bottom of the bag, bacteria being famously small and hard to spot. 
If you're really eco-conscious, you might know that every time you wash a cloth tote bag in your washing machine, you generate more carbon emissions than would be produced by simply manufacturing a fresh plastic bag. And that's very interesting. Now, I don't need to, I don't, I don't need to embrace the exaggeration of leaky beef packs in your reusable tote bag. And I'll even go one step further and say it's probably a bunch of hippy dippy vegans who are using these reusable tote bags in the first place. But think about every product at a grocery store. You know that people pick things off the shelf, look at it and put it back, right? Now you got whatever germs and whatever nonsense on that product. Look, everybody does. You grab the thing, you look at the nutrition label. Oh, does this have, you know, gluten in it? And you put it back. How much salt is in this? You put it back. Then you walk up and grab it, put it in your bag. And all of that is in that bag. And it stays there. You know, not, not, not forever. Not vi- no, vi- virus is not forever. But a lot more than if you used a one-time use plastic bag and then threw it away or used it for, you know, your, your dog's business outside or you just recycled it. And yes, if everyone went about buying these cloth plastic bags and washing them, well, they say that there would be more emissions being pumped out. It seems like a lot of these these policies don't take into consideration the negative impacts because they're just feel good policies. I remember I was flying through Texas and the the waitress at one of these restaurants gave me a a paper straw and I started laughing. I was like, you guys got paper straws now, huh? And she was like, yeah, the state's making us do it. It makes no sense. Some kid wrote an essay in some other state. Now we got to use paper straws. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it's true, but I heard that U.S. plastic straw use isn't a major contributor to plastic pollution. It's just something that people said feels good. Well, who wants to drink out of a paper straw? Those things are nasty. (laughs) Nobody does. So Trump ended up making his own plastic straws, sending them out, and he made like a million dollars or some ridiculous number selling them. I'm not here to say that we should use plastic all the time. Well, the point I'm trying to make is right now we're realizing that the immediate harm we're facing from coronavirus is pressing and that we don't have the luxury of this, you know, these eco feel good policies, which many people can test would actually do anything in the first place. And and actually, this article is arguing the reusable paper bag, uh, the reusable uh, uh, cloth bags are actually worse. Sure, you don't see plastic milling about. And, you know, maybe the issue there is stop littering, recycle better. It's if we're going to use these, you know, these old bags, you know, I don't even necessarily care about the old bags. The point is, it is a luxury item to complain about 12 years in the future. It really is. I don't like it. I don't like the idea that the idea that humans don't think ahead. But when you have serious issues to deal with, you realize maybe there were mistakes made along the way. Maybe there are more important things. And maybe the main point, if we follow through with plans to like shut down all fossil fuel use, it is pie in the sky utopian nonsense that would result in this catastrophe. Oil prices are tanking. Demand is crippled for everything. People aren't working. Could you imagine if no one could drive? because We, we, we got rid of fossil fuels like now, I mean, because Greta said we're not going to wait till 2050. Could you imagine if right now they're like, OK, we've banned all fossil fuels. The whole world would stop immediately and we would have millions upon millions of dead overnight. And then the pitchforks and the torches come out and they're, they're going to go after the people that shut it all down. That's literally what happened in France. OK, not in, entirely, but they raised, the, they put a tax on fuel for climate change reasons and people started rioting. I don't like it, but what do you do? We need to invent our way out of this one. So for the time being, you know what? The environmentalism has been washed away and we're really starting to learn some things are just, maybe we're bored. We have no purpose. We need to make up a purpose. Well, congratulations. You have a purpose now. All right. We're all quarantined. We're, you know, everyone's freaking out to a certain degree. These issues that we can see the, the hypocrisy. I'll I'll just reiterate and I'm done. I promise. If we shut down our fossil fuel use the way she said, this is what you get. And no one's happy with it. 
People can't work. People are, are going to go hungry. The rent isn't being paid. It makes no sense. We need other solutions. We shouldn't be propping up emotional, ignorant teenagers who don't know what they're talking about. I'll see you on the next segment coming up at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast. Thanks for hanging out. As I've stated before, once this is all over, there's going to be a reckoning in this country because people are going to be asking why our strained resources were being given to non-citizens. Now, there is a moral uh, imperative, in my opinion, to treat and save the lives of any human being, regardless of immigration status. However, we allocate our hospitals for our population. There are many people who are here who are not documented, and they are going to get access to our facilities. And that's going to put a lot of people out. They're going to wonder why it is that their mother was not given access when they've done everything right and played by the rules. And someone who broke the rules and came into this country illegally got access before them. And that'll be after the fact, because I don't think for the most part, people are going to be saying, at least for now, take these people out of the hospital. But if it does get really bad in this country, I assure you, there's going to be somebody in New York, some urban liberal saying, I don't care how or why you're going to save my mother's life. And then they're going to get mad and they're going to look for they're going to look for for, you know, why that why this is happening. The Democrats have introduced a bill giving coronavirus relief to illegal aliens. And CNN is actually arguing that illegal aliens should get access to our stimulus checks. This is an even more absurd idea, in my opinion, because this is us borrowing from ourselves in the future. We're printing money. We're not creating anything of value. We're just trying to facilitate trade. So this will devalue our currency. It's going to cause us a lot of problems in the future, but we're willing to bite the bullet to stay floating. We can't give money to people who aren't citizens. <laughs> I mean, look, I guess there'll be people who are going to argue for it, but the, way, the easiest way to put it is if somebody showed up to your house right now and, and just started taking your stuff, you'd be like, we've planned for this. We've prepared for this. Yes, we'll help you. But in the future, we can't keep doing this. You know, we can be compassionate and still recognize resources are finite. And we have to take we have to secure our own mask before securing the masks of those sitting next to us. CNN says millions of workers in the U.S. won't be getting stimulus checks. In my opinion, this is a manipulation tactic. The workers they're talking about are illegal immigrants. But let's start with what the Democrats are doing. Daily, Daily Caller reports, several House Democrats introduced legislation that if signed into law would allow illegal aliens to obtain funds from the recently passed coronavirus relief package. California Rep. Lou Correa, along with two other Democratic lawmakers, introduced the Leave No Taxpayer Behind Act on Friday. The legislation would, would amend the CARES Act, the $2 trillion stimulus package intended to help Americans suffering under the coronavirus pandemic and allow individuals living in the U.S. unlawfully to apply for funds. Quote, I was appalled to learn hardworking, taxpaying immigrants were left out of the $2 trillion CARES Act. Now, these people are open borders, 100% open borders, right? They are for open borders. They will lie and claim they're not. But when they remove the distinction between illegal immigrant and immigrant, you can see that they don't think there is one. They think that if you just walk across the border, you are the exact same as someone who filed their paperwork and waited the amount of time and came into this country properly. They see it as the exact same thing. When they do this, they are saying open borders. He continued, by casting out immigrants, we are placing some of our most vulnerable residents in grave danger. Danger. Every individual taxpayer, irrespective of citizenship status, needs government assistance now. We only have so much. There, there are, resources are finite. And right now, progressives are saying, see, the fact that they can print money proves we could have Medicare for all. No, it doesn't. 
This is going to mess up our economy bad. And we don't know if we can recover from it. That's why Trump and many other people are saying we need to get the economy going again. But when you have people who don't understand how this stuff works, they're like, just print money and give it to everybody. No, you can't do that. Venezuela tried. Many countries try. It doesn't work. Your system collapses. However, these funds do not provide assistance to individuals. Oh, here's what they say. Trump recently signed the coronavirus bailout package. $2.2 trillion stimulus bill will provide $1,200 payments, $1,200 payments to all single Americans who earn less than $75,000 annually or $2,400 for families that earn under $150, including $500 for each child under 17. However, these funds do not provide assistance for individuals who don't have individual taxpayer identification numbers, which would include foreign nationals living and working in the U.S. unlawfully. So how are they paying taxes if they don't even have an ITIN number, which is used by the IRS to track non-illegal immigrants, basically? Supporters of the Leave No Taxpayer Behind Act likened the stipulation to discrimination. The virus does not care about immigration status. It does not discriminate, and neither should we. Immigrants own businesses and homes. You know what? I'm just so fed up with these duplicitous manipulators. Illegal immigrants. That's what they're talking about. Make it clear. They say uh, immigrants own businesses and homes. Are they referring to illegal immigrants? Support families and pay rent and contribute to their communities, said California Democratic Rep Judy Chu, who has also called for a freeze on deportations amid the pandemic. Chu added, Making it impossible for them to receive the same benefit we are sending to everyone just means those immigrants will have a harder time affording food or rent, and that leaves us all worse off. I hope to see this uh, corrected in the next relief package. Well, CNN's making similar arguments, but I'll tell you what. Go to your neighbor's house and tell them they should give up their resources to someone they don't know, and they're not going to do it. Go to to a random house and ask them for stuff. They're not going to give it to you. You can say, hey, I contribute to this community. Why won't you give me food? They're going to say, it's my food. There are limits. Of course, we want to help everyone. It would be insane to think that we could. Right now, New York is conscripting doctors. Okay, well, that's a little hyperbolic. They sent an emergency notification telling doctors to volunteer. But Bill de Blasio wants to force medical professionals to do this work. That's how constrained we are. What do you think these people are going to say? Already nurses are quitting. Nurses and doctors are quitting. They're being kicked out of their, their apartment buildings because people are scared of COVID. And then you're going to come in and say, now that you've been stripped of your resources and forced by the government to do this job, here are some people who aren't citizens who you are going to serve. Many people are going to say, no way. There are limits. Will a doctor or nurse even accept the idea of mandatory conscription for other American citizens? A lot are saying no. There's one story going viral of a nurse who quit her job because she said it was not safe. She didn't have the proper protection and she has to think of her family. What if the government came in and said, we don't care what you want to do. You're doing this now. And by the way, here are people who aren't even citizens of this country. You're going to treat. They'd be like, this is absurd. I will not be forced to do this job for someone who's not even a part of my community, let alone the people who are. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying this is how people are going to react. You, 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 you force someone at the threat of imprisonment to do these things. It's going to get crazy in this country if this, if this carries on. Millions of workers in the U.S. won't be getting stimulus checks. This is the most insane virtue signaling at a time where our resources are strained. You think we can just open the doors and give, give it away to everybody? CNN says, when stimulus checks start going across, across the country, undocumented immigrants won't be receiving them. 
right? And that's not a that's not a surprise. They aren't eligible for most federal benefits. Why would they be? But immigrant rights advocates say, you know what? I'm going to quote Bernie Sanders for y'all. There are too many poor. My God, there's too many poor. I'm paraphrasing. That's what he said when he was asked last year during the presidential campaigning season. If they, if he would open the borders, no, there's too many poor people. You're right, Bernie. Absolutely right. Of course, he changed his tune and he got praise from the progressives for it. Now, now he's saying, oh, no, we must give all this, you know, health care, our, our limited resource, our collapsing hospitals, our military, our, our uh, hospital, hospital naval ships being deployed to the east and west coast. Yes, we're doing that because we have room for everybody. Look, man, I'd love to save everyone's life. And I think we have to save the lives of the people who are here. But the point I'm making is there will be a reckoning after this. CNN, you're on the wrong side of history. I'm not saying that, you know, these people are less than or anything like that. Not at all. And I think we should, we have a moral, it's a moral imperative to save their lives. But don't be surprised when after this is over, people say, send them back to their home countries. We cannot be the world's police and we cannot be the world's hospital. It's just not possible. Here's what they say. Immigrant rights activists say leaving this group out of the, uh, the $2 trillion plan isn't merely a matter of dollars and cents. And it isn't something that only affects undocumented workers and their families. It's a dangerous decision, they argue, that puts the whole country's health at risk as the novel coronavirus spreads. Critics counter that it's not the U.S. government's place to bankroll someone who broke the law and that as unemployment skyrockets, American workers should come first. You know what? Completely agree with that. We've got people who, through no fault of their own, are out of work. My friends are out of work. People who lived in this country, some of these people who served this country, and now they're being told your jobs are gone. Some people who are getting sick because they are still trying to help. Yet there are people who in the past couple of years jumped the border, skipped the line. Everyone else who tried to come to this country illegally left behind. And we're supposed to pay for, for that? To me, that is detestable. 100%. Well, it's det- so I'll, I'll put it this way. I know I've said it. We've got to save their lives. Nothing we can do. I don't care who you are, where you're from. Um, human life comes first. After this is over, you're going to see people rallying behind Donald Trump. I'm not joking, man. His approval rating is going to skyrocket to an absurd degree. I think there's going to be a lot of Americans, Democrats and moderates who recognize we cannot create an infinite hospital system. How are we supposed to have universal health care for these non-citizens and a stimulus package when we can't even afford to pay for it for ourselves? If an individual can't afford this medical bill, how are we supposed to then put our tax money to pay for someone else? We'll see how it plays out. But I assure you, there's gonna be a lot of angry Americans. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Donald Trump likes to say that the fake news is the enemy of the people. And to a lot of people who follow and support the president, I completely understand why, because there is no bigger critic of the media than me. Okay, maybe that's not true, but I'm seriously critical of the media. Look, there are a lot of people who think every single thing put out by the media is fake news. And that's just not true. What I go for is highlighting what I find to be credible and fact-based news, fact-checking it, and then calling out the liars, what I do all the time. So I consider myself to be a fairly decent critic of the media. In fact, we have this opinion piece from USA Today that points out how the media is looking like fools as Donald Trump is trying to give this country hope. Uh, yes, I've got another example of the absurdity of the media that everything Trump does is bad. I'm sure you get it at this point. I got to be honest. I don't know why you're even watching this video because for me, I'm kind of tired of saying it. 
How many videos have I made in the past several years where it's like, here's the media lying again? Yeah. So yes, the fake news is the enemy of the people. There are good journalists out there. and We need to find out who's doing good in media. Who's doing well? Sorry for my third grade grammar. This story from USA Today, as Trump reaches for hope and journalists shoot him down, reporters end up looking bad. Journalists have a vital role to play in keeping our country free. But if this becomes a fight with Trump, they can't. Uh, but if this becomes a fight with Trump, they can't win. Let me show you some stories. Here's one from New York Times, April 4th. 430,000 people have traveled from China to U.S. since coronavirus surfaced. There were 1,300 direct flights to 17 cities before President Trump's travel restrictions. Since then, nearly 40,000 Americans and other authorized travels have made the trip, some this past week and many with spotty screening. Here's a a New York Times op-ed from February 5th. Who says it's not safe to travel to China? Wait, wait, you mean to tell me that you're you're, you're, well, whether you're actually criticizing or not, you're highlighting in a negative way that people are traveling from China when you put out the op-ed that said, who says it's not, it's not safe to travel? The coronavirus travel ban is unjust and doesn't work anyway. Now they're coming out and you got this letter from journalists saying Fox News's coverage is, un, uh, is unacceptable. Well, Fox News who? Tucker Carlson was ringing the alarm bells for a long time, well before the New York Times was, when they were saying, don't, don't, you know, ban tra- uh, travel from China. There's no proper answer. Look at this. It's just completely absurd. No matter what Trump does, they will frame things to make him look bad. But you know what? The American people are seeing through it, which is why we have this story. USA Today uh, writes an opinion piece. If President Trump is a wartime president, does that make Washington reporters wartime correspondents? Oh, no, no, no. Don't give him the credit for that, please. Even before coronavirus, I often wondered if today's press corps had covered the uh, if <laughs> I wondered if today's press corps had covered the Allied landing at D-Day in June 1944, if their stories would have led with disastrous Americans landing at Omaha Beach, the paratroopers who dropped miles away from their targets, and the uh, submersible tanks that sunk to the bottom of the English Channel before ever touching land. Indeed. If each of these genuine military setbacks had been the lead story, the American people might have lost the will to fight the rest of the war. Which brings me to today's press corps. Since Vietnam and Watergate, the Washington press corps has earned its chops by taking on those in power, relentlessly questioning what they are told, particularly when they are told by a Republican president, by doing their best to expose mistakes, misstatements, and problems. When something goes wrong, the press shines a light on it. It's not news when an airplane lands, goes the old journalistic saw. It's only news when a plane crashes. Yep, that's how it goes, isn't it? One of the sayings they have is, what's bad for them is good for us. I kid you not, that's an actual saying. There's a reason why they call many of these journalists vultures. A fight between the media and the president. This explains NBC reporter Peter Alexander's now famous clash with President Trump over the efficacy of a drug meant to treat malaria for which the president expressed hope that it might not will, but might be able to treat the coronavirus as well. How can you stand it? What is this? How can you stand it? Uh, why I watch others oh, a different link. Reporters who routinely publish worst case estimates about the impact of the coronavirus took a firm stand against president's hopeful point of view led by Alexander, who took particular umbrage. Is it possible? It's po- it possible that your impulse to put a positive spin on things may be giving Americans a false sense of hope and misrepresenting the preparedness right now, Alexander asked. After the president again, even handily said the drug might work and it might not, Alexander's pessimism peaked. Nearly 200 dead. What do you say to Americans who are scared, though? 
I guess nearly 200 dead, 14,000 who are sick, millions, as you witness, who are scared right now. What do you say to Americans who are watching you right now who are scared? To which the president, in his usual subtle style, replied, you're a terrible reporter. And we all felt it. You know, to all the people who watched the press conference, who watched that in real time, you felt the same anger as the president. Shut up to that nasty reporter who just wants to make everyone feel bad. Stop. Not only are you not conveying any important information to anyone, you're just trying to drag us down with you. I can't stand people like this. Every day I wake up with a smile on my face, with a, with a joke in my back pocket, thinking today is going to be a good day. And there are always these people who just want to be awful and nasty and peel away at whatever hope you might have. We all feel that anger. It's sickening and annoying. We're just trying to get by, man. Can you at least shut up for once? It's like that one friend you might have that's always complaining about everything. And you're like, dude, can you just stop? I get it. The French fries came out and there was barely any cheese on it, but it's fine. It's a French fry. Slop some ketchup on it and just eat it. We understand the world isn't perfect, but do you need to try and bash everyone over the head with your negativity every single time? I will absolutely take responsibility for my role in the media as well. My motivation are peep is people like this. The people that constantly want to hate on everything. And I get it. I get it. People have accused me of doing the rage bait stuff as well. Maybe there's no answer, but I'm absolutely deserving of criticism. Same as anybody, anybody else, because here I am once again, being frustrated and angry by the press. There was a, a I can't remember who the guy's name. He did, he did a good news show amid all this bad news because journalism is mostly just bad news all the time. And I'll admit it. I don't know what the answer is, because for me, it's bad news pointed in the other direction. I do think to at least my credit, mine is a layer on top of the absurdity of them pointing at the president. I look at the president as trying to bring hope. They smear him and slam him in the face. And then I smear and slam them in the face in response. I wouldn't go out of my way to make everyone feel like there's something bad happening. Or at the very least, I kind of feel like as much as you can criticize the president, he's not that bad and he's doing his job. And that's the best we should be. That's that's the best we can do, right? Why does the media always have to do this? Everything he does is wrong all the time. Of course, I will point out the media is wrong a lot of the times as well. And they do this. But I think I do at least a good job in pointing out much to the dismay of many people, that there are good people in the press who are writing good news. I just try to point, I I try to call out the bad. Now, they'll say the same thing about the president. You know, Rachel Maddow will say she's just trying to call out the president for the bad things he's doing, but it's just not true. How could it be that literally everything all the time that he does is wrong? How could it be that for three years, Russia was creeping around every corner? It's because that is disingenuous. I have no problem giving credit to Bernie Sanders for being lucid right now and proposing plans that I happen to disagree with. I have no problem pointing out that Warren and Ocasio-Cortez had, had good points on big tech. When you turn on some of these channels, they will never be a good thing for the president. I have no problem pointing out there are bad things from Trump and good things from Trump. I don't know what else I can do. But these people are full of it. They're liars. And they just want to bash you over the head and make you feel bad. Trump's approval goes up. On March 25th, the Gallup organization released a poll that was good for the president and bad for the press. 60% of the American people approve of the way the president is handling his response, and only 38% disapprove. But only 44% approve of the way the news media is handling the response. Perhaps when people started watching the press briefings, you know, one of the things that I've said, many others have said is these big media networks want to shut down these, these live events because it was helping Trump. I think it wasn't so much that. I mean, it was, but I think it's also that it was shining a negative light on the press. 
All of a sudden, you got to see in real time how these journalists twist and manipulate information. Donald Trump says, I'm a hopeful guy. You know, the treatment might work, it might not, but I'm hopeful and optimistic. We'll try and rush it through the FDA. An average person hears that and says, yeah, okay. But then all of a sudden, this Peter Alexander guy pops up and says, but, but people are getting a false sense of hope. They're scared. They're scared. And, and an average American is like, dude, shut up. Just stop. Dude, you're bringing us down, man. Like, we're just trying to have a good time, bro. If you don't want to have a good time, you can go somewhere else. That's what all of these journalists are doing. Obviously, not all of them, but many of them. And then they kick out the woman from OAN claiming she wasn't social distancing pro- properly. No, we get it, man. You want to control the narrative. You want, you want to protect your racket of orange man bad. What more do you expect from the press? And it's not everybody. It's just too many. The story ends by saying, too many journalists are fighting the last war and they're only hurting themselves. Many reporters do ask tough, non-accusatory questions about how to fix problems, fight the illness and get America back on its feet. But if this becomes a fight between the pr- a president who realistic, re- realistically represents hope and reporters who reject it, it's a fight the press can't win. In that whole battle with that woman, uh, I believe her name is Chanel Rion from One America News, she did ask a very softball pro-Trump opinionated question, made him look good saying, the pre- you know, Mr. President, you know, Mr. Uh, Mr. President, you're doing all of these things to help people. Why are people blah, blah, blah. I don't remember the question she asked. And I'm supposed to get angry that she gave the president a softball to prop him up when the media does the exact opposite every single day. Yeah, look, man, Jim Acosta is there all the time screeching like a banshee. I get it. I'm over it. You don't see me making videos every single day about him. So when someone from OAN asks a pro-Trump question, I'm going to say, yeah, well, whatever. What do you expect? But they will certainly screech like banshees. The problem right now is too many in media have made it. It's part of their mission to just rag on to, to always be angry, to always be negative. You know, I can be that way, too. None of us are perfect. But it's, it's, a, it's a problem when you have big corporate media. That's their editorial mission to do. It's, it's one thing, I guess, if you're an independent random person who's just on the Internet complaining. It's another thing when you're a White House press correspondent who's supposed to be a journalist conveying information and digging deep, asking opinionated questions about Trump scaring people. I don't know what to say. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Progressives are going after Ocasio-Cortez for not standing up to Nancy Pelosi. And AOC's, one of her primary challengers, is tearing her apart for hanging out at her luxury DC apartment with her infinity pool while the rest of her constituents are in the coronavirus hotspot. Apparently, Ocasio-Cortez did a live forum for her constituents from Washington, DC. I believe it was in DC, but the, the general area where she's in a very nice luxury apartment and not in the Bronx where, you know, New York City, where her, her constituents are suffering a major lockdown and this terrifying moment. It was actually AOC's opponent who called this out. Let's read the story. And then I got a tweet for you from Jimmy Dore. Jimmy Dore is awesome, by the way. AOC is blasted by opponent Michelle Caruso Cabrera for holding a coronavirus video forum from the safety of her luxury DC home. They say Caruso Cabrera branded AOC out of touch for holding herself up in her plush apartment complete with infinity pool and golf simulator in the Capitol, while her constituents in the Bronx and Queens find themselves at the heart of the coronavirus pandemic. Quote, while Queens and the Bronx have lines down the block at hospitals and grocery stores, AOC is holed up in a brand new luxury apartment where she shops at Whole Foods in her lobby, Caruso Cabrera said. That's shameful. No wonder voters think that she is out of touch. 
She has a golf simulator and infinity pool and Peloton cycle room, as well as other luxuries. While families in the Bronx and Queens are worried about how long the lines are at the, at the, fam, uh, at the grocery store and where they are going to get their next paycheck. AOC isn't even here to see their desperation and their struggle to survive with her own eyes. So apparently in this photo, we can see it says Ocasio-Cortez has been blasted. I, I guess the, the, the comment here is they're pointing to this event to prove she's in one of these like industrial style, you know, DC apartments. Here's the uh, why is AOC in her brand new DC luxury apartment during the COVID-19 crisis when people of the Bronx and Queens are losing their lives and jobs? They report AOC is the representative of Queens in the Bronx, some of the hardest hit areas of New York City. New York has been ravaged by the outbreak, with 23 people dying every hour across the state between Thursday and Friday. The coronavirus death toll has rocketed to 2,935. Actually, it's much, much higher than that in the United States. Uh, are, are they talking about New York? They say of which 1,867 are in New York City. The Bronx and Queens neighborhoods have been some of the hardest hit. Michelle Caruso Cabrera branded AOC out of touch. Apparently, this is a photo of her. I guess she was doing a stream or something. But according to her nemesis, AOC is nowhere to be seen in the areas that she is tasked with residing over. Ocasio-Cortez held a virtual Facebook forum with her constituents Wednesday with the group Make the Road and Why on the topic of COVID-19 and the stimulus. In the forum, the representative whose district office is in Jackson Heights and who has an apartment in the Bronx answered questions from constituents. She told how she was coping. Uh, she, she told how she was coping amid the, the mounting crisis. Everyone responds to stress differently. I feel like I've changed my pace a lot, she said. Here's a photo of a man in, in the Bronx. Here are people uh, waiting outside in the Bronx Friday, ambulance being lined up. She said, since I represent Queens in the Bronx, which are some of the hardest hit communities right now, I kind of recognize that there are some days where I'm going to be working all day, 12 hours or more. But there are some days where I just have to accept that I'm not going to be as productive on a certain day. Michelle Caruso Cabrera, who has been touted as AOC's Democratic primary opponent, one of many, by the way, slammed AOC, saying the background of the room matched the design of the apartment complex in the fashionable D.C. Navy Yard neighborhood where she has a home. The former veteran CNBC anchor also pointed out that AOC had criticized her own predecessor for a similar move in the past. AOC said former Congressman Joe Crowley could not represent the area because he was spending more time in Virginia than in the district. Now, in the past, AOC has absolutely been criticized by local residents who say she's never around. She's just in D.C. and she doesn't really pay much attention to her district. In my opinion, Ocasio-Cortez seems to be an Internet representative. Her followers are not in her district. She has millions, like six million plus followers. So when she gives a, a, a you know forum on a live stream to her constituents, she's not talking to them. She's talking to people all over the country. That's where she gets her donations. She is a Twitter po- politician. I'm not convinced she's going to win. However, to be fair, come on, what is AOC supposed to do right now? She's supposed to head back to the quarantine of New York City. I don't know if that necessarily makes sense either. I do think as a leader representative, she should be there, you know, working with the community, doing what she can to help. I, I also think there's a fair argument in that it actually makes some sense to have a representative, a, a lifeline for this community outside of the area and in D.C. who can advocate at the federal level what she's supposed to be doing for them. So as much as I get the criticism, I don't know, man, I, I, I'm kind of like, do you, do you want a congressperson to go to the hotspot, potentially get sick and then bring that back to the rest of D.C.? Maybe it makes sense. She's not there. 
But I, I do understand why people who live there would be upset, particularly Michelle Caruso Cabrera. This is about their district, how they feel about it. And that's how she feels about it. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who are there who are thinking, why aren't you here to steer the ship? You're the captain, right? Why are you taking off? You should be here with us. We can see they got the number of deaths going up. Crowley, here's a quote. Crowley doesn't live here. Send his kids to our schools, doesn't drink our water or breathe our air, and, it can't, and cannot possibly represent us, AOC said at the time. So look, uh, and that's fair too. If AOC is going to slam Joe Crowley, who she beat, for the same thing she's kind of doing now, it's, it's, it's almost like how they criticize Trump, right? There's a subreddit called like a tweet for, for every Trump or something like that. I don't know what it is. But basically, people love digging up old uh, Trump tweets to point out that the criticisms he had for Obama would apply to him today. Well, OK, the same is true for AOC. If she's going to slam that guy for, you know, Crowley for that, for all those reasons, then she's deserving of the same criticism. AOC's spokeswoman, Lauren Hitt, responded to the criticism saying the congresswoman was in D.C. at the time because she had to travel there for the Senate relief bill vote. Hitt said, the congresswoman traveled to D.C. last Tuesday afternoon once it was clear that a House vote on the Senate's relief bill was imminent. She arrived back in New York Thursday afternoon. During that time, the congresswoman has remained actively engaged in all district business. If that's the case, then I think it's absolutely unfair to misrepresent what she was doing and why she was doing it. Because let's be honest, the media and the, and, the, and, the, and the political establishment do the exact same thing to Trump. There was that thing like when the Suleimani raid happened or whatever, they claimed he was golfing and he wasn't. He was like, no, they claimed the Situation Room photo was probably fake or something because Trump was golfing. It's not true. Look, it makes sense why AOC would be in D.C. if she has to do a vote. Everybody needs to chill a little bit, I guess. The virtual forums were set up so that AOC could explain the COVID-19 relief bill to the community and answer any questions constituents had, she said. The congresswoman has since returned to New York, where she has been active in the community's response to the crisis, her spokeswoman said. Quote, she also began a fundraising drive for local community groups, helping constituents weather COVID-19 in lieu of traditional end of the quarter campaign fundraising. Since last Friday, she raised over $135,000 for nine community groups, it said. So yeah, look, good on her. They say AOC has been very vocal in supporting New Yorkers who want to go on rent strike and has blasted New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo for only delaying evictions but not canceling rent payments. Cuomo passed an emergency order banning landlords from evicting tenants for 90 days. So what happens? People can't pay their rent because they're all out of work and then in 90 days they just get evicted? That makes no sense at all. There's one story going viral where a Brooklyn landlord waived rent for the month of April. Good on him, assuming he can afford it. I don't know how you, how, you, how you solve this problem. We're facing serious economic strife. I, I understand the point that AOC is coming from. A lot of people left and right have pointed out, how are you going to like freeze evictions, but not rent because people can't pay their rent? And then, yeah, great. Evictions are frozen. And in three months, they kick you out. But other people have been very critical of AOC. So I got one more point to bring up. This is Jimmy Dore. He had a, he had a similar kind of criticism for AOC you know, about being in, this, in, in luxury. He says, you can't make this up. After voting for fleecing of America while bending the knee to Speaker Pelosi and while doing nothing to help you, AOC does a live stream complaining that politicians aren't doing anything while she's actually doing nothing but making a margarita. I got to give it to Jimmy Dore on this one. Jimmy's a good dude. He's a lefty. And progressives are pointing this out. Here's a tweet from Caleb Paul. He says, AOC just wrapped up her Instagram live where she where she ranted about how elected officials aren't doing enough all while she was making a margarita. Now, come on, guys, let's be fair. Just because she's at home making a margarita doesn't mean she's doing nothing. 
but I do think it's bad optics. I, I definitely think people have AOC derangement syndrome. And so I want to be careful here because as much as I'm annoyed with Trump derangement syndrome, AOC derangement syndrome is, you know, there's a similarity to a certain degree. But I do think there's a big difference between Ocasio-Cortez being very hypocritical, and she is, making tons of mistakes and gaffes and screwing things up, chasing Amazon out of New York, and then gloating that they opened a marketing office. Not the same thing. People want to point to every little bad thing Trump does. AOC called out Facebook for uh, and big tech for surveillance. Spot on. Bravo. She was teaming. She, she had this brief team up with Ted Cruz about uh, stopping lobbying, right? Had this pipeline of people getting in politics and then becoming lobbyists. She has done good things. And I agree with her on many, on, on many things. Mostly not though. I really, really do not the, the Green New Deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can do a better job of criti- being very, you know, being critical of people like AOC when they do stuff like this that even Jimmy Dore can point out. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> Don't, you, you, it's just, it's optics. Professionalism. It's not the worst thing in the world by no means. But I do think it's important to avoid the constant caricature of the other as this pure evil. So while it's, I, I, I got I to defer to Michelle Caruso Cabrera. She lives in this area. She's running to represent this. And if she doesn't like what AOC is doing with these, like, I'm in DC to luxury apartment, then it's her right to criticize it. And it's not my place to say she's wrong. She lives there. I don't. And, and Jimmy Dore makes another good point about, look, AOC is constantly complaining about Pelosi, but she's going mainstream. That's been a huge criticism. So progressives are getting mad. I can understand why Jimmy Dore's upset. There was a recent story saying that AOC is no longer going to be going after Democrats with you know, progressive primaries necessarily. She's taking a conventional approach, targeting Republicans. She's fallen in line. People don't like that. She's, she's trying to, seems like she might be trying to save herself because she knows that her time is almost up. Come November, she's going to get primaried or booted or something's going to happen. And she knows it. Every, every single politician is deserving of criticism. And I think it's fair to say that they're not all bad. Well, actually, I take that back. I think Schiff and Pelosi are really bad. Uh, Schumer is mostly bad. He's just out of it. Nadler's pretty bad. AOC, in my opinion, is actually a lot better than Schiff and Pelosi, for sure, but definitely deserving of criticism. I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. I'll see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. on this channel. Adios.